I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome back to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. I'm your host for this conversation. My name is Dan. And today we bring you a survivor story. Uh, these survivor stories are meant to help our listeners see themselves in survivor stories, understand that maybe how you have defined abuse uh, or, or seen your situation as not necessarily abusive. We hope to offer hope and light into the world and bring these stories to life and also to offer our survivors a, um, a venue to tell their story. Sometimes it's therapeutic. Other times it's just meant to, to bring stories to the world. So that's what I, what we what we bring you today. So today's guest uh, is a survivor, uh, and she originally shared a social media post that one of our producers saw, and said, "My goodness, we want to bring this." So let's start with that. So Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And so Nicole, you are a a mom, a wife. You are you are a business owner. Yes, sir. In in Michigan, and so a, a fellow Michigander. I feel already a kindred connection, um, but, but you are a, you are a successful business owner and you're all these other things as well. And yet as strong as you are, you have a, a history like so many of us do. Um, so thank you for being willing to share that. If you would share what this social media post that began this conversation for us was. So um, I, I am, like you said, I'm, as you mentioned, I am a uh, business owner. We, it's called The Rise. Um, my husband and I both um, own it, co-own it together, and we both work extremely hard on it. And he's a retired professional baseball player. And the whole goal, ultimately, when we first opened it was for him to provide baseball lessons in our area. And um, once we got into the actual space, like into the facility, I, uh, I just saw so much more than just baseball and, um, you know, like rentals and, you know, just things like that, that we could really put into the community around here, things that we don't have. And then I started realizing like how big of a platform we actually have and how we could use that to help people in our community, um, like raise money, um, just, just anything like that um, in general, like finding families that need a little extra help around the holidays and, and um, this one in particular, uh, it was, it's the Children's Advocacy Center of Southwest Michigan. And it's, um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's essentially a place where people can go when they've been sexually abused or they have been like in domestic violence situations. Um, and they offer like all kinds of um, resources for therapy, um, just 
help, like how to get out. And um, obviously as a, um, somebody that's gone through that, that place obviously touched my heart, you know, and I said on the post, like, you know, I, I probably would be a completely different person had I had access to a place like that when I was going through it and I um, didn't. And um, so what we did was we put a, the rise, put a 5k on and um, we decided to donate the money that we had made to the center. And um, when I posted about it, when I had posted what we had donated, what we were able to raise, um, I had mentioned that I was a um, victim of domestic abuse and sexual abuse. And um, just, just stating again, like, you know, this is, this is what's happened to me. And this is why this place is so important to us. And this is why we're advocating for this. So I think that's how um, it really, you know, sparked obviously an interest in her and seeing that. Yeah. And, and how, like how heartwarming as a fellow community member and someone who works in the space, non-volunteers with the space um, to see the, the giving back that as you have found your healing and it's a continuous journey, I understand that um, as you have found your healing, you're turning around and saying, I'm here to help. Um, That really, that's, that's beautiful. Um, If, if you could then, uh, if since since you're willing to, to share a little bit of your story, what does being a survivor look like for you? Where where did this abuse start? What did how did it transform you? Like, tell your survivor story a little bit, if you would. Oh gosh, um, uh, I was sexually abused, unfortunately, multiple times growing up. Um, whether it was from a close friend. Um, somebody I barely knew, a boss. Um, I can't tell you, like, I literally have been, you want to like, whatever, whatever label people put on it these days, like raped, assaulted, um, you know, touched inappropriately, cat called, like, you name it, it's, it's happened to me, unfortunately. Um, And to be honest with you, I didn't really understand the magnitude of it until I went through my domestic violence with my ex-husband, my ex-husband. I never really, I didn't really like, I hate to say this because it sounds so like, I want to like slap myself, but like, I didn't care. Like it was like, I didn't, I don't, like I said, I didn't think I understood the magnitude of it until I became older, until I became a parent. Um, You know, like I, I have two boys and I think I would probably, I don't think I do good things to anybody that ever, if anybody ever put them through what I've been through. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, leading up to that, though, I, it was, you know, I was drunk when I got raped. So it was like this, the whole mentality around, well, she was asking for it, she shouldn't have been drunk. And it was like, well, I was going around, you know, I, one of my friends had taken me, he like suggested to take me for a walk around the neighborhood to help me walk off my a little bit, you know, just to kind of like, maybe you should just go for a walk. And I trusted him. I didn't think anything of it. And it was like, next thing I knew I was, I was basically um, next to a tree on the ground with my pants down. And I didn't tell anybody I didn't tell like I didn't I was like, I walked home by myself. Like I didn't. Yeah, it was just, it's mind boggling to think about it now because I'm just like, gosh, like, you know, and obviously, I am, people think I'm the whore, you know what I mean? Like I'm the one that's, 
you know, after I started talking a little bit more about it and opening about it as the years went on, people, you know, some people would be like, well, you should, you know, there's this whole mentality around, I can understand why people think, why women think it's their fault when things like that happen, because there's a, there's still such a stigma around, well, she was asking for it, unfortunately. Right. And it's just not the case because I've, I, this might sound conceited, but I don't really consider myself as somebody who takes shit. And, um, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. Yeah, yeah, yeah please. <laughs> um, I, um, I don't put up with uh, bullshit like that. And um, mm-hmm. I did for a really long time and I don't really know why. And it really led me to um, have a lot of extra issues in my life later on down the road that I know, you know, I could have completely avoided had I dealt with that in a more appropriate way. I don't think my parents even knew about it until a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And they don't even know what to say. Like when I, they like, I don't know if they're shocked. I don't know if like they don't want to talk about it or what, but they, 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 they really don't have much to say when I, when I do talk about the sexual abuse. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my reaction is always first to, uh, look, to, to look at you, see you as a human and say, I'm sorry that that's part of your story. And I'm sorry that people respond with, well, why were you drunk and, and, and shame you as that victim? Um, that is such a huge thing in our society. Like that is not, I could get into a whole soapbox moment of how not okay that is. I won't do that on this particular platform. Um, but thank you for sharing that. I, I'm, I, again, my heart goes out to you. Um, and, and how, and how important it, it is for us to talk about that consent is important. And when you are under the influence, it is not your fault that you can't give consent. Um, how did that, or, well, let me ask, did that play a part? Do you think in how you ended up in an abusive relationship in that first marriage? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, sex was like a tool, you know what I mean? Like you just, you, I, I was, after that, like, I was so cavalier about sex. Like I didn't really, I mean, unfortunately I don't, I barely know my number. Like I have like a rough estimate, you know what I mean? But it's mm-hmm. too high. It's, you know, I, I didn't treat it the way that it should have been treated. Mm-hmm. And I think that has a lot to do with it. I think that I didn't mm-hmm. value it. I, I think I used it as kind of like a defense mechanism. Um, I used it as a way to connect like I thought it was a way to connect to people and the only way to connect to people and the only way to get a boyfriend and the only way to, for guys to like me, you know, like I, I totally went through that phase, unfortunately. And it was, I, looking back on it now, you know, when I, um, when I think of, cause I'm a, um, a personal trainer as well. So like, obviously there's a lot of like photos of me, like of my body, my, my body is obviously a, a big part of my job Mm-hmm. Um, of what it looks like essentially, but, um, the respect I have for my body is completely different. Like I'm, I don't, I like whenever, like I'm complimented on my body, I'm, it's more like, a, um, I'm it's strong, you know, not like sexy. It's strong. You know, it, you can be strong and sexy. I'm not saying those things aren't intertwined, but like, sure. I would much rather to be seen as like somebody, like a woman, that you don't want to mess with versus a woman that like, you know, I would, I would want to, like, I want to be on her type of thing, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. And it is, you know, your, your, your body type is your body type. And then the work that you put into it develops that. And how do you, how do you now, 
Like, what have you done to figure out that balance of respecting your body, being comfortable with being that trainer and wearing the clothes that show that off to show the results, like all that stuff and not feeling over-sexualized? Um, I just, I think uh, a couple of things, actually, it's not just one specific thing. Um, my husband got like, he's, <clears throat> he, I don't deserve him after everything that I put him through. He's such a good guy. And, um, I'm definitely like blessed to have him. He's, um, he definitely has helped me so much with body image in general, which is kind of funny. Cause it's like, oh, your validation comes from a man, even though, you know, the man, like a man, like took it away type of thing, but it, it isn't like that. Um, I think he's more encouraging. Um, he definitely, like, I have a lot of, um, goals. I'm very ambitious and motivated. And he, when I feel like, um, I'm getting off track or if I'm getting like really like down on myself, or I feel like, um, you know, nothing, anything I'm doing is just falling on deaf ears. Like nothing matters. Um, I get, he just reminds me of, you know, my purpose reminds me of why I'm here and what I'm doing. And, you know, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. Um, and then another, so working out, working out really saved me. Um, I, I don't work out to like look good. I work out because it makes me feel good. Um, I'm bipolar. So, and I don't take any medication whatsoever to help with that. I'm like, I kind of self-regulate, um, and working out is, so beneficial, but not just for me, for anybody mentally, like it's, you know, there's science upon science facts that back that statement. Um, but, uh, yeah, working out, I work out to be strong. I've got two boys and I want to keep up with them. I want to be able to, you know, if like they ever want to play baseball or practice basketball, like I want to be able, I don't want them to wait for their dad to come home. I want them to know that like mom is just as capable mm -hmm. And, um, they know that yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. I'm, I'm only five, I'm barely five, three, but, um, they know that, uh, mom could totally keep up if I wanted to. So I think just working out in general, just being, you know, I get up every, every day at three 30 to work out and that's discipline that I have to learn. It's a commitment that I make to myself, you know, like you're, you're showing up for yourself. So I don't know if that mm -hmm. kind of answers the question, but I know that that has a lot to do with how I respect my body and I honor my body by moving it every day. Honor your body. You work on it to be healthy, to be well mentally. It's not about the sexualization of it. It's about taking care of yourself. That's, right. that's the difference for you. Okay. I, I, I hear that. Um, what time do you go to bed if you get up at 3.30? That, that, I'm stuck on that. Don't ask me that question. That's so funny. Um, I don't, it's not like, I don't go, I mean, I'm, well, in the summertime, I'm, I'm in bed before the sun goes down, but um, I, I don't know, 8, 8.30? Yeah. I, I don't go to bed like wicked early, but I only need like six-ish hours to function on a given day. Yeah, that's a, that's a silly question, but you know, I had to ask it. I mean, that's like, my goodness. It's fine. You're, that's usually the um, first question that everyone asks too. Well, good to know that I'm at least somewhat normal. Um, yeah. So, so you, you've, so to bring it back then a little bit, you, you faced this, this abuse, uh, the sexual abuse, you ended up in a domestic violence 
relationship, a relationship that had domestic violence in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're now a very strong woman. You mentioned bipolar. Um, so you've got some struggles that you still deal with, but you like, you come across as a very strong human being mentally, emotionally, obviously physically. Um, how, how do you like, when you look back on your first marriage, what do you think of on how you got into that relationship? And I don't want to say allowed because it's not your, you didn't allow this, but you found yourself in this relationship that was violent, that was abusive. What do you tell yourself now? How can you make sure that doesn't happen? How do you tell others what to look out for? How did you get there? I guess is my, is my, my ultimate question. Um, I got there because I was dumb and in love. That's how I got there. Mm. Um, to put it blankly and the shortest way possible. Um, cause we were together for, gosh, I was a senior in high school and he's a year older than I am. Um, so we were together for like three months and, um, he asked me to propose, like he proposed to me and I said, yes. And, and he was like about to leave for boot camp, So he was in the Marines. So, um, that was, we were engaged for a year before we got married and we eloped in Vegas. Um, we like literally like I, so I went to Michigan and then on my, um, spring break, I went out there, he was stationed in California and I went out there to visit him and where his, um, where his uh, base is, is only like three or four hours away from Vegas. And we had no intentions of getting married when I went out there, but it was like one of those, do you want to get married? Like while you're here? And I was like, okay, you know, like, let's do it. And, um, dumb, dumb as hell. And, um, I, yeah, I just, um, he left for, I I can never remember. I want to say it was Iraq. Um, he left for Iraq and then um, came back at the end of October. Um, October 25th is when he came back. And then October 31st, we were having a Halloween party and he picked me up by my neck and he like threw me up against, um, we were outside and he, something had set him off. Um, I don't even, I honestly, to this day, um, I don't even remember what it was that set him off. And um, he just got so mad, so angry. And I obviously like I'm his wife and I'm like following him outside. I'm like, what's wrong? Like, why are you so mad? And he just like turned around and he grabbed me by my throat and he picked me up and he threw me like I was outside and I like slammed against the wall, you know, the uh, houses out there are like stucco. And I like, he threw me up against the wall and I fell. And the only reason why like he let me go was because his best friend had come around the corner and was like, saw me in the air, like dangling by my neck he had up me up in the air by my neck and he was like oh my god like what the fuck are you doing like put her down and he did but he like chucked me mm. so um i put up with situations like that i won't go into like too much of major details of it of it but so it got to the point where um the last episode that he had um i like escaped like i ran away from home and like escaped to my neighbor slash friend's house when i lived out there And, um, I came back the next morning and he was like, if you don't leave me, I'm going to leave you because I'm the next time this happens, he's like, I'm going to kill you. So just because of how the house was like the next morning, because of like, he had thrown like a, um, 
picture frame at me and it like missed and it hit the um, oven door and the oven door just shattered everywhere. Wow. And um, just like holes in the wall. Um, and my, I came home, I ended up, I did end up leaving. It was actually um, February 1st uh, was the um, anniversary, 12 year anniversary of me leaving. Um, and I changed in front of my mom and it was like the worst mistake ever. I was like, just, and it wasn't even like changing, like I had a bra on, you know, but I was like changing my shirt and, um, I had bruises like all over my arm and from him, like grabbing my hand, my arms, you know, and like shaking me. And she was, it was the worst mistake. I, it's like one of my biggest regrets is just changing in front of her. I had come, you know, just one of those mindless acts that I just completely didn't even think of. And she saw it and she's, I think, I think that image still haunts her to this day, unfortunately. Um, there were definitely signs, I think. Um, I remember a few instances vividly that, you know, we would drink alcohol, I think was always involved um, whenever he did initially start. Um, like when we first started dating, you know, there was a time where he got mad and he like picked me up and put me on like the countertop. And then like something happened and like, I can't remember, it was so long ago, but like I, I ended up like falling on the floor and I remember my friend walking in and seeing it like the end of it. And she like looked at me on the ground, like what's going on here? Like this doesn't look normal. And I didn't say anything. Like, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't think that that was a problem. I don't know why I didn't you know, first initially, like, say, like, don't, don't fucking put your hands on me. You know what I mean? Um, now I would obviously, but um, at the time I was only 17 or 18 years old. And when you, when you're in a situation like that, you just, I don't know, I, I'd, I'd like to blame age, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think I was just really just in love with him and I, I wanted to be with him and that was how, like, that was the one and only time I remember specifically that he did anything like physically, but it wasn't enough for me to even like stop and think like, wait a second, I should have, but I didn't. Yeah. Um, a lot of people ask like if, uh, you know, he went to Iraq, um, if he saw some like stuff over there and um, he didn't, he didn't see anything like that. But later on, um, like three-ish years ago, he had reached out to me and come to find out he ended up having ulterior motives. Um, but initially when he had reached out to me, it was to, he wanted to know, cause he said, like, he told me, he was like, you know, I, I don't remember a lot of what happened because he'd like black out. He'd be so angry, which is pretty common in situations like that. Um, especially for people with PTSD, which is something I also have. Um, but um he reached out to me asking about it. And he was like, he ended up telling me like some of the things he was like, I can't believe I've said those things to you. Like, that's exactly what my gunny sergeant used to say to me. And it turns out like he was, I guess, really like bully to the point where like breaking point in Iraq and it, it completely fucked with him mentally. And that's kind of where the anger stemmed from. And that's, I think kind of how it got released. Wow. I, yeah, I don't even, I, I need a minute, I guess. I don't even know. It's, you know, in my work with DASIS, 
I've understood and I've, and I've, and I've heard this and I understand this to be, you know, alcohol is not what causes domestic violence. Other abuse is not what causes domestic violence, but what we can see are patterns, right? Whether it's PTSD from his time in the military or it's alcohol or it's something he faced when he was growing up, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, it's not, it's not an excuse. It's not a reason. It's not anything like he, he those, as those perpetrators need their own help. Mm-hmm. But, but for you as a survivor, you as, as the, the victim in that moment, but you as a survivor now, like we need to believe survivors and not ask why it's the, why, why it's their fault. Like, why, why didn't you leave? That's not the question to ask. It's, it's why, why can't they stop abusing? Um, right. But yeah, that it sounds incredibly scary at times when you were talking about your mom, like I, I had to stop and think if I saw my daughters in that, or if I had sons, if I saw my sons in that way and what that would do to me as a parent. So I, I can't even imagine how your mom felt. Um, and, and, and what that like, oh my gosh. And, and to, and to think like you've described, you haven't described your parents very much, but it, my, my, my assumption is good family. You know, if you're changing in front of your mom, you trust her, like, and yet you ended up in this situation. And I my think that re- my dad is a retired FBI agent as well to like <laughs> put like the cherry on top of the Sunday. <laughs> wow. And so it was, I, yeah, it was definitely one of those things where, and ironically, I had actually told my parents right away what was going on. I didn't hide anything from them. I was 19, you know, I was 18, 19 years old, and I was living in California all by myself, playing house with this this man that I'm married to. And, um, but I think, um, I think my dad being an FBI agent actually helped me leave sooner because he's very familiar with, you know, he sees domestic cases all the time, unfortunately. And he, I think he understands that if he tried to, especially me in general, just me as a person, um, if I am told that I can't do something or if I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do it and I'm going to do it better. You know what I mean? Like I'm one of those people where it's like, Oh, you like, I can't do that. Watch, watch me do it. And, um, he knows that obviously. And I think him fortunately knowing that he never was like, you need to leave now. And if you don't, I'm going to come out there and get you. Um, I think he trusted me enough to leave, um, when, you know, when, when it got where to, to where it was, that doesn't, you know, I, I, he definitely had eyes in the sky. Um, I definitely was being followed. Um, I remember multiple times, like leaving the house and then this like car would, this convenient car would be next to me or near me at all times, you know? So I definitely think he had something to do with that, which is fine. I didn't care. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was to add insult to injury. Yeah. He was, it's, just ironic that and yeah no I came from you know small town I'm the one I'm one of three girls I'm the youngest and you know we've had a pretty good upbringing but um, unfortunately it was just one of those things where I ended up in the situation that I did. Mm. Do you think the work of like DASIS or the organizations that you work with um, in your community uh, raising awareness is helping to maybe, you know, as we shed light on this situation and the fact that we are, we can normalize that it happens, not normalize the event of it. We don't want to normalize abuse, obviously, but normalize right. the fact that it happens. 
you come from a good family, you are a successful a business owner, you are a, a, a mom, a wonderful wife, you do all these things, and yet you have the story. So we can normalize the fact that, that that exists. Is that, do you think, going to help others not fall victim to abusive relationships? Um, I don't, I would like to say yes. Um, I think that I know that when I did share what I shared, when Elizabeth saw that, I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say her name. Oh yeah. 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 She's okay. one of our, yeah, um, yeah. Liz is one of our therapists on staff okay. and that's who saw it. So yeah. Okay. Um, I, um, I think, um, I think they were surprised. I think a lot of people that still don't know my story, um, or still don't know, like my background, I think like I, I had a lot of, um, you know, so our facility, our business, what we do is we train young athletes, we train high school athletes. And um, we, uh, I, I'm, we've developed quite a relationship with a lot of the athletes, we've developed a lot of relationships with the families with the parents, and um, a lot of parents, I'm friends with them on Facebook, were like, holy shit, like, I had no idea, you know, like, they were really surprised. And I, you know, to this day, I have people that reach out to me, like after I share something like that, that are like, I, I went through the same thing. And I, you know, I'm very, I'm very vocal about it. I always have been. Um, Cause I don't, I'm not ashamed of it. I, I mean, I'm not like, I, at the time I didn't do anything wrong. Like I didn't, you know, I did, I felt like I did, you know, initially I felt like I was the reason, you know, especially like when we were actually in therapy trying to like save our marriage, the therapist asked me what I did to make him mad. Mm. I was like, the fuck did you just ask me? Like, I remember like, I was like 19 and I remember sitting there and being like nothing. I fucking didn't do anything. And if I had, I still don't deserve this. Like, but she was, you know, and this isn't a knock against the military. This isn't a knock against any, you know, but she was a, she was a Marine military, um, a therapist for the Marines. Mm -hmm. And at that time, they still weren't doing anything to help. Like when they come home, they do this like whole eval thing with them now. Like each, each person gets their own like emotional, mental, like physical evaluation of like where they are and they get this whole thing, which is great. I think that's awesome. Um, but uh, at the time that didn't exist. There was, there was nothing like that that existed. And the therapist had asked me, she was like, you know, what, what did you do to make him so mad? And I remember just like sitting there and I like looked at him and like, he just had this like blank stare on his face. Like didn't really, I don't even, he probably wasn't even listening at that point in time. But I just remember thinking like, where, where the fuck am I? Like, no, like that's, that's a terrible question to ask me. Like, I can't believe you would ask me that question. Um, yeah. That being said, like, you know, like three years ago when he, he like reached out to me, I unfortunately, like I went back, like I, I was married. I have kids, you know, like my husband, my current husband right now, like I went back, like I wanted to be with him again. Like I went through this whole twisted, toxic, like, you know, and this whole mentality of like, well, you know, what if this could have worked out? Maybe he has changed. Maybe, you know, like what if, you know, my first marriage would, or like, what if this marriage isn't supposed to be the one I'm supposed to be in? You know, I went back like just because I went, you know, I was going like nine and like nine or 10 years of it. And you, it's, 
still so easily to fall back into that situation. I had just been diagnosed with being bipolar. So I would like to think that I was mentally, emotionally, like really weak and vulnerable. And, um, it's not something I'm really proud of. Like I, this is, I think the only part of my story that I'm ashamed of because it's like, Oh, Nicole, like I want to like slap her, you know, I still want to slap her. I still struggle with the guilt of that. Um, but even strong people can, can fall back. Even strong people can still become victims again. And turns out he was the exact same way. Nothing changed. He is, he still is just as abusive, just as, as just, just as terrible, um, in that aspect. And unfortunately I ended up hurting a lot of people to just get that confirmation again. So now I like, you know, it's, it's like one of those things where it's like, I, you know, I'm no better than he is because I just hurt a lot of people because of my, because of my hurt. You know what I mean? Like I didn't deal with my shit the way I should have. And it, I ended up cost, like I ended up hurting so many more people because of it. Mm-hmm. And had I just dealt with that sooner, had I had the, the child advocacy center, had I had the resources that you provide at like, um, um, D-A-S-A-S, mm-hmm. how do you pronounce it? I'm sorry. You said you had a word for it. Uh, we just DASIS. DASIS. Yeah. So like, you know, I didn't have anything like that. Like domestic violence was still so taboo and I'm also only 19. So like, I don't have any friends that can relate to that at that time. You know what I mean? Like I didn't have any, I didn't have an outlet. I didn't have nothing. And to this day, I'm just like, I'm like, it was like, that's the one thing I'm just like, Jesus, like, I, I wish I could take that back. And I honestly almost said no to doing this interview because it makes me feel like I'm this like fraud, you know, like, I don't want people to think that it's okay to go back. But at the same time, like, I also want to like shed light that it's, that this happens and it's, it's not normal, but it happens. And that's, that's the problem. Like that's where people need help the most. Like that's where I think the biggest, it's like being on drugs, relapsing mm-hmm. is the only way I know how to describe it. Mm-hmm. And, and so often relapse can be part of recovery. It doesn't have to be, I think is what mm-hmm. I hear you saying. Like, and, and Nicole, thank you so much for sharing that, for the authenticity, for the bravery that it took. Um, you know, we've said at DASIS a number of times over over episodes, there's no one perfect journey when it comes to healing. There's no one perfect plan. Each person has their own. Sometimes you do relapse. Um, I'm, and, and, and yeah, it sounds trite. I'm sorry that's part of your experience and that those in your life were hurt by that and that you were clearly hurt by that. Um, but thank you for sharing that that honestly, because I think people can see that then and say, look, like there isn't perfection. It's a journey. Right. And if you can do it without that relapse, great. But if not, that doesn't make, that does yeah. But that doesn't make you less of a, of a good person. Doesn't make you less of a person. Doesn't make you less of a survivor. Like it doesn't make you less. It's just part of your journey. That's what it makes me feel like. I I do still struggle with that greatly. Um, unfortunately, but like I said, like my husband, he's just he's so great. Like I don't deserve him at all. Um, and I think like that whole mentality of just like, I do have a good husband. I do have a good man. And I, you know, like all of every, and if anything, I think that was like, I hate this word and I don't even want to say it. Cause I, I don't want to like, I don't want to promote like the closure. Um, but I was also, you know, 18, 19 years old. Like, I don't think I had, um, 
like I said, I didn't have the resources. I never went to therapy. I didn't start going to therapy until like three years ago when all of this happened. Like I, I should have been in, I, I should have been in therapy like 12 years ago, more than, you know, and I never, I never had that. I, I never had the resources. I never had access. You know, my parents never pushed it. They never asked. And, um, you know, um, being bipolar, you're a high performer, you know, all, all your manic um, stages. When you're in a high manic state, people don't question if you're okay, because you're succeeding, you're producing, you're productive, you know, you're efficient, you're showing the world that you're doing a good job, when in actuality, it's a mental illness. Mm-hmm. And then when you crash, you crash hard, like I did, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Well, bless your husband and, and you, you're, you know, you've mentioned husband a couple of times. Um, I'm so grateful you have a partner like that, having a partner, husband, wife, whatever your situation looks like, like that partner to be with you is, sounds like a very, I mean, I know it is for me personally, (laughs) a great thing. It sounds like for you, it has been a great thing too. Um, Nicole, is there anything that we didn't really cover that you want to make sure that listeners walk away with um, after hearing your story? Um, I don't know. I would just, I think the biggest thing that I would, um, stress the most is just be honest with yourself. You know, at the end of the day, um, it's, it doesn't matter what anyone thinks. Um, I still struggle with that, with like the performing and like, you know, making sure that everyone else is okay around me, but I can't stress enough how important it is for other people like for you to be okay with you, you know, um, if something feels off, chances are it probably is, um, trust your instincts, you know, and I would, you can always find a way, even if you feel like you're trapped and you have nowhere to go, you know, and and you're in this like abusive relationship, there's always a place to go. Always, always. I don't care if it's a friend, a stranger, a shelter, Uh, somebody from church, people every day are opening up their doors. I can't tell you how many people offer to help me all the time. There's always, there's always somebody out there to help and always keep moving forward. Don't, I mean, always move forward. Always move forward. Great advice. Nicole, thank you for telling your your story, for sharing it with folks. Um, Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.